Happy holiday, Monster Baiters. I hope everyone has a safe and happy holiday season. If you're feeling like sending us some holiday cheer, then there is no better way than rating and reviewing our podcast. Give us five stars and then tell us a creepy story. It really doesn't matter what you say, but for the rating to carry weight, it needs a review. If you're still looking for last-minute gifts, or if you just like to wear cool shit, hit up our store on teespring.com slash stores slash monsterporn and get a shirt or other merch featuring Nick Calavera's awesome artwork. Merry Christmas! So, you saw your mommy kissing Santa Claus. I caught my mom giving to Krampus. Don't talk to me about therapy. Oh, this is monster porn. On this special Christmas episode of Monster Porn, a double header, frosted by me, Brett Norwood, and deck the halls, a holiday in hell by Matt Cummins. Thank you, Santa. Godspeed, St. Nicholas. Thanks for fixing the universe after we accidentally undid five of the seven days of creation. Yes, that was my bad. My joy, fellow Christians. These children is why you must leave the devil's arts to the devil. Now I must away to mirror my home, but if you ever need to smack down an Aryan heretic before the emperor, you know who to call. Ho ho holy he who was and is and is to be. Amen, brothers in Christ. Huh. St. Nick wasn't exactly what I expected. All tall and tan and Greek and dressed like an Eastern Roman bishop? Well, I am certainly glad our friend God sent good old St. Nicholas to help us. Oh, what's this? Oh, the good bishop of Mira left us a gift. Don't shake it. Well, it doesn't bark or meow or slither. (laughs) It smells like something. Myrrh. Shall I open it? What if it's a bomb? From St. Nicholas? Have you watched the news lately? These are weird times. All times are weird times. The media overblows everything, and what it cannot overblow, it manufactures. Well, maybe the times are fine, but this is a weird podcast. Yes, you are right. It could be a bomb. Should we have the police check it out? Or we could just re-gift it. There is that Toys for Tots donation bin down the street. You would give a bomb to children? We don't know it's a bomb. We just know it's probably something weird. It might be something fun like a mummified cat. How is that the first thing that your mind went to? Oh, I suppose I can't help but hope I got what I asked the mall Santa for. Fine, if we're seriously worried it might be a bomb or anthrax or... Or a Harry Potter prequel movie? Why don't we just forward it to a politician we hate? Yeah, maybe. Oh, why don't we just get Puggles to open it, and then we'll stand back at a reasonable distance? What if he wonders why we're wearing blast helmets? We could tell him it's just part of our Christmas traditions. Or, or I could conjure something already dead to open it for us. 
Yeah, right. The last time you practiced your occult arts, you undid five of the seven days of creation. The time before that, you summoned Puggles from his desolated nether regions. You know, the, the hell in his pig butt. Yes, but this time I can use Yule magic. Yule magic is pure and wholesome and safe. You can use Christmas magic to do necromancy? Christmas is a time of miracles, Matt. For those who believe in the magic of Christmas. Ah, uh, now let's sit on this one for a little while. I don't want to do anything too hasty. All right. Well, how about a Christmas story while we digest the situation? Tyler, with an O, Tylor, sneering with his snide snaggletooth, was the epitome of the preteen douchebag. The pom-pom atop his woolen winter hat bobbed with Tyler's spastic, impish energy as he marched up to Sam, placed a ski glove on his chest, and hooked a boot behind his ankle and shoved him over into the snowdrift. Tyler cackled, swelling with pleasure with himself, but then immediately offered his hand to help Sam up, because Tyler was Sam's best frenemy. Come on, man, Sam pleaded, knocking the clumps of snow from his knit hat. Let's just finish the snowman, okay? You're right, Tyler admitted. If we're going to bring this monster to life, he's going to need a heart. What should we use? Sam asked. How about that coal? Tyler suggested. Sam's dad, who thought he was quite funny, had given them each a lump of coal when Tyler had gotten to the house. Then, having had his joke, he gave them each a chocolate orange. That works, Sam said. Go get it, Tyler ordered. Sam knocked his boots off at the back porch and opened the sliding door. If no one was around, he was hoping to get away without taking his boots off, just to go over to the fireplace and retrieve the coal. Sam did not trust Tyler, but he tolerated him, because they had always been friends, and despite threatening several times never to invite him over again when Tyler had crossed the line, Tyler always came back contrite and waited patiently for Sam to forgive him and extend another invitation to play. Tyler would sit on the edge of the backyard fence after school, waiting for Sam to get home, looking like a chastised puppy. Clearly, Tyler legitimately liked Sam and considered him his best friend. He just had the faults of being a jerk and completely untrustworthy. The main occasion that Sam held against Tyler happened back in November. Tyler claimed to have a toy that Sam wanted, a Transformers Generation 2 hot rod, and Tyler wanted Sam's micromachines set with the Abrams tank and the mobile artillery in Desert Storm camo. Even though Sam was doubtful, the character of Hot Rod never appeared in Transformers Generation 2 catalogs, and Sam was not sure the toy even existed as much as he wanted the toy to exist, a gorgeous redeco of the Generation 1 Transformers toy into a rad 90s teal and indigo color scheme. Sam agreed. By the fence, in a deep snowdrift, they made the exchange after school one day. Sam passed the micro-machines into Tyler's gloved hands. He examined them briefly before carefully placing them in his coat pocket. Then Tyler searched the back of his boot. You put it in your boot? 
Sam exclaimed. Oh shit, Tyler had said. Where did it go? And Sam's heart sunk. He knew it was a sham, but he also knew he couldn't prove it conclusively. It must be in the snow somewhere, Tyler said. Search my footprints. Sam began to dig through the boot tracks while Tyler appeared to do the same. There is no Generation 2 hot rod, is there? Sam said mildly after a while. Tyler looked him in the eye. It's here somewhere. Sam didn't press. He knew the truth now, and that was enough. Pushing Tyler would only cause a fight. Tyler would never admit to a lie. Now Sam came into the living room of their single wide, where the tree glowed and silver tinsel hung from the mantle of the fireplace. In two days, Sam would get to open what sat wrapped beneath the tree. The large box in the red paper, he knew, was the big Lego Ice Planet set, the Deep Freeze Defender. He was really looking forward to that. The two hunks of coal still sat on top of the coal bin by the fireplace. Sam took one of them and returned outside before his mom could find him indoors with his boots on. The monster lay supine on the back deck. Tyler was giving it eyes from the decorative rock in the planter. Got it, Sam announced, showing the coal in his glove. What, do you want an award? Tyler responded. Give it here. The snowman lay out like a Vitruvian man, spread eagle and only a little bigger than either Tyler or Sam. He was not a photogenic snowman, having a misshapen head with one lumpy brow and a hollow cheek. His torso was also asymmetrical, with one side of his chest bulging above the other. While Tyler dug out a hole for the heart of coal, Sam set about improving the snowman's proportions. He needs more muscles, Sam said, and began packing lumps of snow onto his arms to make biceps. Sam liked the idea of packing on muscles to make him a superman. He wished he could do the same to himself just as simply. Sam moved on to the pecs, making them bigger and evening them out, and he found his privies stirring a little bit. But it wasn't the muscles themselves so much as the thought of how women would respect those muscles, and, in general, the feeling of possessing power. Sam thought, only briefly, about how maybe Melody in the next trailer park would like him if he had muscles like these. Tyler had placed the heart, and when Sam stood back from packing the chest, Tyler was snickering. While Sam was occupied, Tyler had stuck an icicle upright on the snowman's crotch. I think he likes you, Tyler said, laughing so hard he almost doubled over. Sam chuckled, but penis humor made him uncomfortable. He never saw what was funny about sex things when sex was supposed to be the sacred act of procreation between man and wife. It was almost blasphemous to mock it or take it lightly. Don't let your tongue stick to it, Tyler went on. Sam grumbled. Take it off, he muttered. My parents will see it and we'll get in trouble. You take it off. Tyler said. I don't want to touch his wiener. You're the one who put it on there, Sam exclaimed. Yeah, but it was just an icicle. Now it's a wiener and I don't touch dude's weens. Neither do I, Sam protested shrilly. Come on, take it off before we get in trouble. And it's just mean, Tyler said. Would you want someone ripping your penis off? No, but Sam had no words. Instead, he groaned and reached his mitten toward the icicle, 
hesitant to touch it, but desperate to have it gone. Oh, so you're going to give him a handy. He'd probably like that, Tyler said, standing back and laughing. Sam hadn't heard it called a handy before, but he knew what it meant, and it made him even less eager to wrap his hand around the ice prick. But Sam did. His plan was to grab it and give it one good jerk and throw it away into the snow. But as he wrapped his mitten around the see-through slung, another hand wrapped around his arm, and the snowman glared with blue pebble eyes. Tylor screamed first, before Sam could even process what the problem was. Tyler was running for the fence when the monster sat up, still staring death into Sam's eyes and holding his arm, which was still holding the icicle. Now Sam began to scream. Finally, the snowman let Sam go, and he fell backwards into the snow as the thing stood up over him. Sam fought for his footing and took off after Tyler just in time to see Tyler faceplant in the snowdrift in front of the fence. Sam didn't turn around until he had caught up to Tyler. As he stopped to help Tyler to his feet, as Tyler stammered stupidly, Sam looked back toward the house, and the snowman was gone. Where did it go? Sam muttered in a hushed panic. What? Tyler was fighting for his wits. What do you mean? Tyler glanced around, pupils blown despite the bright snow. Where did it go? He began to say, and repeated it several times. Come on, Ty, Sam said, tugging on his arm. Let's get inside. Let's get inside while we can. The boys ran for the back door. The snow monster was nowhere to be seen, and they made it easily into the sliding door. Coming through the kitchen into the living room of the single-wide, they froze in their tracks, because they were just in time to catch the snowman hunched over the coal bin, taking the other Christmas coal into his palm, and staring back at them with those unchanging pebble eyes. They could only watch as the thing strode casually like Bigfoot out the front door, eyeing them down the whole time. Lock the door! Tyler squealed. Sam locked the door after the creature and then tried to see it out the window. They couldn't tell Sam's parents what they would never believe without seeing. But the dinner table was full of the kids' hushed mumblings. They kept an eye out the back sliding door. If Sam's parents could see it, they would believe it. But never otherwise, so the kids kept watch for the opportunity. Sam nearly choked on a spoonful of green beans when the snowman, again loping like Bigfoot, lumbered into view of the backsliding door. The canning water ran down Sam's chin. Tyler followed Sam's gaze and stopped chewing. The snowman stood in the middle of the backyard with his hands on his hips and ice pickle pointing to the yawn. Sam's dad, perplexed by the kid's sudden transformation, also followed Sam's gaze turning 180 degrees around in his seat to see out the door. He took a good long look, seemingly searching for the words to say, or ensuring that his eyes were not lying to him. Meanwhile, the snowman stood perfectly still while his dad took him in. Finally, Sam's dad turned back to the table with his eyes lowered to his meal. In a low, stern voice, he said, You know better than that, Sam. You boys should know that... What you built out there is inappropriate. Just think, the neighbors can see that. Do you want the neighbors to see that? Tyler's mouth fell open, spilling green beans back onto the plate. Behind Sam's dad, the snowman had begun moving again, 
while Sam's dad lectured them for producing an anatomically correct snowman in the yard. Sam and Tyler watched as the snow monster began to work in the snow, rolling snowballs and heaping mounds together. When Sam's dad had finished the lecture and, Sam perceived, was not particularly paying them attention, Tyler leaned over to Sam and whispered urgently, What is he doing? Sam answered, He is building another one. After the snowman placed the other lump of coal into the new creature's heart, it clambered to its feet clumps of loose snow falling away to reveal a snow woman, fully formed, and glaring with black, expressionless pebble eyes. In another moment, the original snowman had her bent over and was thrusting his icicle into her posterior. The boys left off eating. Are you not hungry, Sam? wondered his mom. Finish your beans, his dad said. Then you're going outside to take down what you made. The snow woman got onto her back and the snowman got on top, and they were going and going like dogs. Finally, the snowman pulled back as powdered snow shot along the length of his member and showered onto his snow woman's belly. She patted it down until her tummy was packed and round like a pregnant woman. When Sam's dad turned around again, the pair was gone. Sam's dad stared stupidly for a moment. Huh, he said. Did somebody already take it down? He turned back to the boys. You see, one of the neighbors must have seen what you made and been scandalized by it. It's not appropriate. Sam nodded slowly. Sam and Tyler did not find it easy to sleep that night. They stayed up in the fortress of furniture, pillows, and blankets they had built in the living room between the Christmas tree and the large wood panel TV that sat on the floor, wary of the black square window that loomed over them. Don't worry, Tyler said. If he comes in here for very long, he'll melt, right? He came in here earlier, Sam said. Yeah, but only for a minute, Tyler answered. I bet he'd melt if he stayed any longer than that. Yeah, still, do you want to spend even one minute in here with him? Sam objected. Well, when you put it that way, Tyler answered. Anyway, Sam said, the door is locked. I know, Tyler said. Still, I wish that we had some defense. What do you have for weapons? Nerf guns, Sam answered. What's that going to... I know, Sam interrupted. I didn't say it was a good idea. I said that's what I had. What else do you have? Sam thought. A baseball bat, he said. Perfect, Tyler told him. He's just snow after all. Go get it. Come with me, Sam said. What? It's just in your room. Do you think he's waiting for you in your room? Tyler said, incredulous. Fine, whatever, Sam answered and tossed aside the afghan that was the main door of the fort, and went, glancing at the window as he scampered past the tree and fireplace. In his room, he also kept his eyes on the window, partially exposed through curtains on a tension rod. It was pitch black and he could see nothing through it as he fumbled for the bat in his closet without looking at what he was doing. He'd had nightmares like this, about something outside the window in the night and not knowing where it was or what it was doing. And that was fairly disconcerting, that the line between nightmare and reality should blur. Sam hurried back to the fortress. The tree lights and last embers of the fire conspired to cast the room in dull red. 
The tinsel sparkled like snow. Tyler threw aside the hatch to let him in. Coast is still clear, Sam said, not looking Tyler in the eye. Good work, soldier, Tyler said, taking the bat from him and placing it beside his sleeping bag. Why do you get the bat? Sam wondered. I'm closer to the door. I'm stronger and I have a better swing, Tyler rebutted. Think about it. I play softball every summer, don't I? Then you get by the door, Sam said. Do you really think the door matters if he comes in here? Tyler answered. I'll just jump up through the roof and surprise him if he comes in here. Hmm, Sam toned. All right. Do you hear that? Tyler whispered. What? Sam wondered. Shh, Tyler insisted. They listened. What was it? Sam asked, hushed. I heard a tap like on the window, Tyler said urgently. I don't hear anything, Sam said a little louder. No, wait, Sam said. They listened some more. Are you just messing with me, man? Sam demanded. Tyler didn't answer but kept listening, holding up his finger to keep Sam paused. After Tyler made him listen for a full two minutes, Sam said, You are totally pulling my leg, exasperated. No, I'm not, Tyler insisted. Poke your head out and look. Sam grumbled. He scrutinized Tyler's expression for the truth and did not find it. Fine, Sam spat, and he tossed aside the afghan. Sam crawled forward and poked his head out. And he screamed. Two glistening, misshapen figures stood facing him in the window, catching the colored lights of the Christmas tree. At Sam's scream, Tyler burst through the roof of the fort with the bat and also screamed a shrill scream, so high in pitch it was almost inaudible. The snowman, the right of the two figures, had his hands on his hips and slowly tapped the tip of his icicle against the glass. The woman had her hands resting on her pregnant belly. The kids covered themselves back in the fort. Sam was repeating, They can't get in here. They can't get in here. To assure himself, Tyler clutched the bat to his chest and stared at him with wide eyes. They can't get in here, Sam kept saying. Shh, Tyler insisted. What? What? Sam asked urgently. Listen, Tyler said in a hush so desperate it was almost a voiceless croak. Footsteps were coming slowly, steadily, through the kitchen, soft and plodding against the linoleum. They became quieter at hitting the carpet and came to a rest near the fort. Tyler burst through the roof again and swung the bat, which was instantly caught in an irresistible grip far beyond the strength of children. Sam's dad glared with sunken eyes and more lines on his face than either kid remembered. He was in his tidy whities Scream like that again, and this is never happening again, he grumbled. You need to go to sleep now. But Dad, Sam started, but he could not begin to find the words. No buts, his dad growled. He had already returned to the kitchen and went on his way across the trailer. Sam crawled onto the couch by the window and stared out. Hesitantly, Tyler joined him. The snow woman was out in the middle of the yard, squatting. Snowballs poured out of her nethers into the snow and rolled away as if under their own power. Is she pooping? Tyler wondered. I don't think so, Sam answered. 
As the deluge of fist-sized snowballs hit the snow and rolled away, they grew, packing themselves with the snow from the ground. She is giving birth, Sam whispered, astounded. Her face was poorly sculpted such that she wore a perpetual blank smirk that was now directed into the window at the boys. Freaking gross, Tyler exclaimed. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus! What do we do? We get back in the fort, Sam said. And don't look out again. Then he repeated the refrain one more time. They can't get in here. The boys awoke late to a silent house. Sam expected to hear his dad making French toast in the kitchen, as he always did when he had a sleepover with Tyler. Tyler sat up, looking at Sam with increasingly wide eyes. For a moment, neither spoke. It's cold in here, Tyler said at last. Yeah, the fire died out overnight, Sam said. Sam crawled out of the Afghan hatch into the living room, and Tyler followed. Sam could see his breath, and that, that was not normal, even with the fire out in the morning. I don't like this, Tyler muttered. Where's your parents? Slowly they went through the house toward Sam's parents' room at the far end of the trailer, watching out every window they passed for any sign of the creatures. It was otherworldly quiet, with falling puffy snowflakes outside and the matte gray sky of low clouds. At the bedroom door, they could see the two lumps in the covers that were Sam's mom and dad, moving gently beneath the comforter. Mom? Sam said weakly. Dad? The snow monsters bolted upright in bed. As the comforter fell away, it became clear that the snowman was inside the snowwoman again. Both sets of tiny dark pebbles stared at the boys. The snowman cried in a deep, roaring voice. Why did you fill me with this need? Why? Why, creators? Did you give me this insatiable member I would be better off without? I could have had peace. I could have had contentment. And he packed the snow woman more aggressively until he cried out with a mighty roar. When he had finished, he stood from the bed. Now there is no peace in this life. And no peace for you, my creators, because of what you've done. The boys turned to run, but found the hallway behind them had filled up after them with snowballs. And this frozen brood had driveway gravel for teeth. You know, we should say Merry Christmas to the listeners. Merry Christmas, listener. We're very glad to be spending a part of the holiday season with you cuddled by the fire in our fur booties, watching the bulbs of the Christmas lights die out one by one until only you and I and the blackness remain. Well, there's an idea, Matt. What's that? Why don't we have a listener open the present? But they've been listening and know it might be a bomb or a DC-shared cinematic universe movie. Or something cool like a mummified cat. The other thing I asked them all Santa for was the infinite book of sand. Now I kind of want to open it. Uh, Be my guest. I'll just stand over there by the shop. Just let me get my welding helmet first. 
No, I think this is an opportunity to spread the Christmas cheer while also expressing our gratitude towards the listener. All right. Well, listeners, stay tuned for your chance to win a special gift that probably won't kill you from Monster Porn Podcast. But if it is the Book of Sand, I want it back. One of the plastic icicles coming over the rail caught Marlene in the shoulder, drawing a trickle of blood to match the one coming from her lip. Oh, was all she managed to say. She sat nearly catatonic with fear, but soon she'd be angry. Or perhaps mad. It was all mad. She pulled the plastic icicle that had once been a decoration on her tree out of her shoulder with a pwit as a little burp of blood squished out. The icicle had been sharpened to a deadly point. She turned to see the other icicles sticking into the railing, long strands of tinsel, had been tied to the hooks that were used to hang them from the Christmas tree. The tinsel went downstairs to where she'd been cooking just a few minutes before. The gingerbread men were coming over the rails, alive with murder in their eyes. They're fucking cookies, Marlene told herself but her dismay didn't alter what was happening. Reality wouldn't reset itself to once again make sense and squeeze into the box of the rational. Small brown hands like little oven mitts were folding over the tinsel as they pulled angry climbers up from the floor below. One clambered up and over the top, its small gumdrop eyes scanning until it spotted her. Its red-lined mouth turned into a creepy frown like a pinched o-ring. I'd crafted that mouth so carefully, she told herself, as ten more little round heads popped up. One, the largest of the batch, climbed up to its feet and pulled a sharpened candy cane from the ribbon scabbard it had slung over its back. It tapped the pointy end against its palm and then shouted out in some high-pitched, strange language. Its troops returned a war cry, raising icicles, sharpened candy, or broken pieces of ornaments above their heads. The leader raised his hand and then waved it forward, signaling another icicle that shot over the railing and into the wall above Marlene's head. She cried out in pain as the leader of the gingerbread cookies pulled out an ornament hook and ziplined toward her. Insane malice on its gingery face. They descended on her from the tinsel zipline. She was covered with them, pricking and tapping on her. It nearly tickled until one slipped into her shirt, hacking at her nipple with a jagged piece of peanut brittle. She slapped her own tit until the cookie man fell out of the bottom of her shirt. She looked down just in time to see one bite her. There was a small pinch before its mouth broke and the frosting smeared down her arm. It gurgled as it tried to scream from its disfigured face. Marlene put it out of its misery with her teeth and then spit it out on the floor. She stomped the gingerbread men and threw them across the room. Just as she was winning the battle, the leader climbed atop her head and raised the candy cane inches into the air as high as its arms would allow, and then it drove the pointed end onto the top of her head. The candy cane splintered. Ow! She shouted as she slapped the gingerbread man across the room and then tore the icicle from her shoulder. It landed in the hallway on the hardwood floor. Its body split in half. Marlene stood up, chuckling, and then laughing loudly until she saw the upper half of the gingerbread man crawling toward her, like a misshapen inchworm, leaving streaks of frosting across the floor. 
It grabbed its own legs and then raised its broken hand in the air and made an obscene gesture with what was almost a finger and then slipped into the ventilation through the floor vent. To her left, another gingerbread man came up the stairs towards her. She pounced, landing on it with her palm. It squirmed beneath her hand until she raised it high above her head and then shoved it down into her mouth. It screamed as she chewed it. Red icing mixed with spittle and blood ran down the corner of her mouth as the cookie fell silent. Marlene looked around at her victory with an insane grin. Parts of the slain cookie stuck in her teeth. An hour ago, she'd been sipping her eggnog and feeling a nice warm holiday buzz as she looked over her post-holiday plans. And then that package from someone, most likely Little Miss Big Jugs from down the street, arrived. The sun was up, and despite being a cold December morning, the bright sun felt good through the crisp, wintry chill. A lone package sat in silence on the doorstep. The snow in pine trees were just as quiet. Marlene had looked at the package with a raised brow. There had been no doorbell or knock. She checked her phone and only saw herself and her three cats staring back at her. Tin grand? And the motion sensor doesn't even work? She thought and felt her cheeks flush with anger. She damn near pulled her tits out, and even though the installer hadn't taken the bait, he had given her a few freebies. Maybe it even got cheap on the wiring, she thought, as she bent to pick up the package. It was light and wrapped in a nice, thick brown canvas, with holly and mistletoe embroidered into it. It was richly done, as though someone was asking for a kiss. Perhaps Richard had come around to the proposal she had made, for the changes to the 18th green after they'd had their last HOA meeting. Perhaps he'd grown a set and wanted to act like a man for once. She'd thought that until she went to the kitchen and opened the package. Inside was nothing but a small leather-bound book. The leather had a strange brittleness to the touch and a blue-gray color that made her think of dead things. She'd have thrown it out, but there was a bright pink page marker in the middle of the book. So she opened it. Its binding creaked as a dusty smell wafted up to her nose. A note fell out on the floor. When she picked it up, something pricked her finger. There was a razor taped to the back of the notebook paper that had been hidden between the pages. You win was all that it said in English. And below, there were some symbols like something you'd see in one of those old Harrison Ford movies where he was like a grave robber or something. She looked at the pages on the book, and for a moment, she just saw a few nondescript drawings with some old writings. She touched the page to try to dust it off, finding herself annoyed with the whole thing when a drop of blood from the prick on her finger fell onto the paper. The words began to swirl into images of gnashing teeth and creatures rending each other's flesh. Marlene felt fear spin nausea into her guts. She slammed the book closed and threw it across the room where it hit a large antique nutcracker and simply disappeared. She had stumbled backwards into the counter behind her and watched as the nutcracker's mouth opened and closed like it were some kind of mechanical fish trying to breathe out of water for the first time. Her bleeding hand was in the middle of a tray of gingerbread cookies she had just finished putting together when she felt something stab her fingers. 
That was how it started. Now, the cookies were in crumbles, and the nutcracker was marching in circles around the living room, not able to climb the stairs with its straight wooden legs. But it beat the ground with the butt of its wooden spear and shouted in that same strange language as the gingerbread men. Akagulu Korthith! Akagulu Korthith! Call the police, she thought, but she'd sooner slit her own wrists. If she called the police and said, My cookies and nutcracker are trying to kill me, she'd never be voted top contributor to the High Pines Golf Village success again let alone be allowed to stay assistant to the head of the HOA, a position she'd nearly lost to Little Miss Big Jugs until she just happened to upload a video of a certain social climber and the tennis lessons she'd been giving a local judge onto the HOA mailing list. A lesson that included her chocolate-colored beauty in a naughty elf outfit, handcuffing the dear old judge to his locker and riding him until he was purple in the face and near dead with exhaustion. The video had made her so hot when she watched it that she nearly touched herself. Victory was hot. Winning was hot. Little Miss Big Jugs was hot, even for a foreigner who had no business being in her competition. Marlene had nearly reached the bedroom when she heard a noise from her husband's office. He keeps a gun in there she thought. Her husband had a handgun in the top drawer of his desk right next to his liquor and cigars. She opened the door and saw the fucking elves from the Christmas tree downstairs with their long legs and Velcro arms dipping their heads beneath a spilling decanter of bourbon and drinking it deep. She felt her stomach turn and tried to tell herself it was a dream or that she was on drugs, but the ache in her head and the blood on her scalp was all too real. The red one with the upturned nose was tottering across the desk towards the blue elf with the big ears, trying to carry the revolver. The elf slipped, dropped the revolver, and then it went off, blowing the blue elf to pieces of singed stuffing and cotton body parts. The other three elves started bellowing laughter until the yellow elf bent over and retched up a puddle of bourbon. The bourbon wept out of the fabric like wet cloth being wrung dry, the elf's body pinching inward and then expanding, it puked again. The green elf looked at her and then shouted to the others. They turned towards her. Their merry, drunken faces turned malicious. She slammed the door. Honey, I'm here. What's that noise? She heard her husband shout. Philip, no! She screamed and then heard a loud crack and a groan. She raced back out to the banister and leaned over to see her husband lying on the floor bleeding from a wound on his temple, Christmas lights tied to his ankles, and then his body was dragged below the stairs and into the hallway out of sight. The house was silent. She looked around to see the amount of decor in her home, the extravagance of what she had went through every year to make sure she was a top contender for the holiday decoration contest. Inside her home, the decorations were more modest. She went with a less is more appeal, but outside, though, she went balls to the fucking wall. The front door was open and something was coming. But before she could see what came through the door, another gun blast went off behind her. Paint and drywall exploded behind her head and then she dropped to the floor. The elves were coming down the hallway shouting at her in their strange little voices. 
She crawled on her belly behind the upstairs bar. She reached her hand up from the cold hardwood and searched through the first cabinet door she came to and found a few bottles of liquor. Find something to fight them, she told herself as the pitter-patter of small feet rounded the corner. One of the elves shouted, and then she heard them counsel one another with hushed voices in silence. The sink turned on above her, and she pulled a bottle from the cupboard and then held it to her chest. She heard a giggle, and then the water stopped draining. The little fuckers are going to flood the place, she thought, as she could hear the water level rising. She turned to see a head sneering at her from behind the end of the cabinet. Down the hall, she could hear the gun being dragged. They only weigh an ounce. Just tear them up like the cookies, she told herself. But fear had hijacked her ability to make herself move. That was until she felt the cold water splash over the sink and onto her back. Whatever spell the fear had held over her broke. She pushed herself forward and reached around the cabinet and seized the little yellow elf. Do you want a party? She shouted. Well, I'm the fucking queen of the party. She dumped the booze all over the elf's head, reached into a drawer, and then found a match and struck it. The little thing shrieked as she brought the match closer to its head. It screamed as flames engulfed its body. It nearly burned her hand, but she had the presence of mind to toss it into the water that was pooling across the floor. She jumped to her feet and ran down the hallway, punting the little elf that tried to lift the gun again. It flew with a strange squeal. She grabbed the revolver and pointed it at the fleeing elves but didn't fire. Four, she told herself. The gun held six bullets. She had four more shots. She turned and went for the stairs. Downstairs was a freak show. The caroling angels were wreaking havoc across her snowy village. Small porcelain men, women, and children fled through the miniature streets as the angels, attempting to fly, were raining down on the village from the shelf above their bodies exploding on impact. Something like glass hit the side of her head and shattered. She fell as another one exploded above her. She held the gun in front of her and fired a useless shot. It was the Christmas tree flinging ornaments at her as it whipped its branches. The bullet had struck one branch but had done nothing to slow the assault. The front door was still open and then suddenly a wire reindeer with white glass bulbs bounded through the living room. Marlene got up and ran toward the back door. In the hallway, she shrieked as she saw him suspended and gagged with garland and lights. Her husband was pinned against the door, blocking it from her. His feet were off the ground, and he was trying to shout at her, but his mouth was stuffed with garland. A tear was running down his cheek. Below him, ignoring her, was the nutcracker. It stood three feet tall, and its arms pumped mechanically as it marched on her husband. A string of lights unzipped her poor husband's fly and pulled out his junk. His member was stretched upward as tinsel wound its way around the base of his testicles. It brought back buried memories of her childhood on a ranch watching cows get cut. She realized what was happening a moment too late. The nutcracker proved true to its name. Her husband's shrieks of pain were muffled, but she could see his eyes bulge in an animalistic insanity before he passed out. The nutcracker turned, 
slimy red tendrils dripping from its mouth as her husband's destroyed manhood dripped red from a stringy gray mass like exposed entrails. She fired again, hitting the nutcracker, and then she fired once more, putting Philip out of his misery. She turned and ran to the front door. Daylight? If she could only reach daylight, she would be safe. But if her house had been a freak show, then her yard was chaos. The reindeer were running through the trees being hunted by other nutcrackers. The wooden sleigh had been upturned and was in flames. Mrs. Claus lay on her belly trying to crawl away as Rudolph attempted to mount her, his nose shining fiercely. Marlene ran to a small wooden shack at the front of her yard. She kept the doors closed during the day. It was the crowning jewel to her Christmas decor, and a slap in a face to little foreign Miss Big Jugs, who surely worshipped some heathen god. The shed was silent and dark. After a moment, when her eyes began to adjust, she could see a small bundled mass lying in the center of a small ray of light that was showing through a crack in the doors. She went to the manger, the bundle, when suddenly the doors burst open, there was no baby in the manger, but one of her cat's bloody corpses wrapped in a stocking. Mr. Pat-Pat, she thought desperately. The ache was worse than what she'd felt for her husband. Behind her, the doors were being held open by the big elf himself. The tall wooden Santa Claus was more accurately detailed than any other she'd ever owned. He had poseable joints and hands so you could set him up in his sleigh in any way you wanted. He moved with a fluidity not even a human could match. He snatched her up by the throat and slammed her against the wall. His round red cheeks only enhanced the malice in his eyes. He drew back a hand and punched her in the nose. She felt her nose break as the pain exploded. He dropped her onto the floor. She raised the gun but he caught her wrist and snapped it with a twist. The gun dropped. Santa took a shepherd's staff and crushed her shoulder. He raised it again, but before he brought it down, a baby flew from the rafters and landed on his face, clawing and scratching at his eyes. He tore the baby free with his hand, and it took a portion of his horsehair beard with it. He threw the little baby Jesus across the manger scene, White strands of hair clamped in the baby's teeth trailed through the air behind it. Marlene watched as the two squared off. Santa pointed to her and then made a throat-slashing gesture. She slid herself to her left. I still have one good hand, she thought, as Santa poked at the baby with the staff. The baby pointed at Marlene and then at its own chest and then made the slashing gesture. My God, they are fighting over who gets to kill me, she thought, and then choked on laughter. It was insane. It was all so insane. If they kill me, then little Miss Big Jugs wins, she thought. She inched closer to the gun. Jesus leapt into the manger as Santa brought the cane down with a whack. The cane broke over the edge of the manger. Jesus took up the broken end of the staff and stabbed Santa in his belly but it only made the big elf angrier. He took hold of the manger, and then he smiled at the baby. The baby smiled back, and then they both turned to look at her. Christmas itself was coming for her like the angel of death. She took up the gun. No, you don't get a win, she thought. 
but it was her left hand, and she could barely lift the gun as she began to succumb to her injuries. She put the gun to her chin, but her hand fell as she pulled the trigger. The last thing she saw was the manger coming down on her, and then it was darkness. That is sure to become a Christmas classic with its heartwarming holiday message, Matt. I do worry the critics will point out the similarity to every seasonal Hallmark movie, however. Thanks, man. Yeah, I really started to get into the holiday cheer this week. Me too. I made a gingerbread crypt with the kids. You don't have kids. Didn't say they were mine. Or human. So many questions that I don't want to know the answers to. I know. Like, why wouldn't they stop touching me with their probes? They were making things way weird, Matt. Oh, God, yeah. Um, so let's refocus a little here. What about the box? I say we spread the Christmas cheer, because the Christmas spirit is a jealous spirit of wrath, and our good deed will please it and bring us a prosperous year with fewer ingrown nails. For your chance to win a special gift from Monster Porn Podcast that probably won't kill you. These statements not evaluated by the FDA. All you have to do is be the person who gives us the most creative review. The one that is either the funniest or creeps us the fuck out will win. This review can be on any podcast platform and must be five stars to be considered. All you have to do is send us an email at info at monsterpornpodcast.com with a screenshot of your review. So that's how we're going to solve the problem. Fuck it. Why not? Merry Christmas. Monster Porn Podcast is a production of Warped Box Media, which does not support the war on Christmas. Now the war on Groundhog Day, however... Greetings, Monster Baiters, Brett here. If you enjoyed this episode of Monster Porn, first, you're delinquent on the Sacrament of Confession, and second, please rate and review us on iTunes. 
It only takes a minute and it helps us out a lot. Check out our store for an exclusive t-shirt featuring artwork from the talented skeleton cartoonist Nick Calavera. Use discount code WEARUS through this week for 15% off. And be sure to follow Nick Calavera on Twitter at Nick underscore Calavera. If you're a weird writer interested in getting your work on Monster Porn, we are still open for bonus episode submissions. Check our website, monsterpornpodcast.com, for details. Until next time, Monster Baiters, stay weird. And Godspeed, Strange Cowboy. Merry Christmas, Monster Baiters. If you would like to do us a solid and wow, you know I don't like that line. Let's uh, let's, let's <laughs> I hate that when somebody says do us a solid. Oh, I'll do you for <laughs> <solid>. <laughs> All right, try. Merry Christmas, monster baiters. I hope everyone has a happy holiday. And if you want to make our holidays even better, please go on and revate, <laughs> revate, revate. This is why we script shit, man. Okay, I'm going to write it real quick. Oh, is that my cue? We should say Merry Christmas. Oh, God, why am I saying it like that? Shouldn't I just say, we should say Merry Christmas to the listener? But instead, I'm like, we should say, quotation, Merry Christmas. (laughs) Quotation to the listener. Okay. Search my footprints. Footprints? The monster lay supine on the black. <laughs> Reality wouldn't reset itself to once again make sense and squeeze into the biot. <laughs> <laughs> she slapped her own tit until the cookie fell out onto the. <laughs> uh, I just was picturing that too well. The words began to swirl into images of gnashing teeth and things. What? Downstairs was a strange freak show. Let's redo that sentence. (laughs) Downstairs was a freak show. The caroling angels were wreaking havoc across her snowy vidge. Her vidge. Oh, the caroling angels were wreaking havoc in her (laughs) vidge. A string of lights unzipped her poor husband's fly and pulled out his junk. His member was stretched upward as tinsel wound its way around the base of his testicles. It brought back memories of her what? (laughs) (laughs) Memories of her childhood. (laughs) You put that in there. Uh, Oh, it brought back memories of her childhood on the ranch watching cows get cut. That makes so much more sense. But nuts and... (laughs) Oh, God. It'd be kind of funny if you cut that sentence short and just said it brought back. (laughs) 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 I think we'd either lose listeners or people would just be like, yeah, this makes sense. Christmas. 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 God damn it. (laughs)